Merry Christmas, everyone, and welcome to this very special episode of the Clone Star Podcast. I am your host, Sean Ferrick. And today I am your co-host, Show Hurley. And happy Christmas, everybody, if you're listening to us today. It is Christmas Day, so thank you very much for tuning in. It is absolutely wonderful to spend this most 25th of Decemberist of days with you. And we are going to kick straight off by just talking. Uh, this will be a shock to you. We're going to talk about Star Trek today. We're going to have a little, little, bit, of a, little bit of a Star Trek chat. Uh, and it's going to be festive, although everyone listening probably knows that if we were to try and list the Christmas episode of Star Trek, what I've said so far is probably longer than the amount of Christmas episodes of Star Trek. Uh, what, do you, what do you reckon, Joe? What do, you, what do you think of all of those special Christmas holiday specials that Star Trek has done throughout the years? People always mention Sub Rosa from seventh season of The Next Generation to me about, like, I haven't seen Sub Rosa in bloody years. Is there actually anything Christmassy related in Sub Rosa? Well, it's funny you should mention that because, uh, no, not even remotely. But <laughs> there is a wonderful, wonderful meme that has only this week been doing the rounds. You've, you've probably seen it. And it's Beverly Crusher sitting there sipping some tea and the ghost of Tasha Yar appears to her and says, you know, you must change the error of your ways, Dr. Crusher. You will be visited by three ghosts tonight. And the next panel is her smiling, going, best Christmas ever. <laughs> I just like, that is, there you go. That is peak comedy. And so niche, but peak comedy. The only two other things I can think of in terms of, uh, wait a second. Three things, actually, I think. Um, one, in Death Wish in Voyager, doesn't Voyager become a Christmas bauble? And if that wasn't an advertisement for the Voyager Hallmark ornament, I don't know what is. <laughs> um, I can't remember which episode of The Next Generation it is when Data is doing a Christmas carol. Devil's Due, because I only watched it the other week. And is there an episode of the original series where Kirk does mention Christmas? Or is that a book? Or did I just make it up? You're not making it up. I, now, I can't think of what it is, but there is definitely a reference to Christmas in it. I don't think it's, I, I don't I think, think it's a reference to... of, like, I don't, like, they're not talking Christmas trees on the Enterprise or anything like that, but it no. is definitely name dropped. But actually, I have two more for you. Okay. Um, one is in Caretaker. Um, Harry Kim turns around to Tom Powers and says, is it true uh, this is when they're just kind of meeting for the first time. Is it yeah. true what those officers said about, you know, you disobeyed orders? And Tom Paris goes, yes, it's true. But, you know, the ghosts oh, of those yeah. three dead crewmen appeared to me and I changed the, I saw the error of my ways, which I had forgotten about completely until I watched it there recently. Yeah. And then, of course, and people are blue in the face hearing me talk about this. Generations. And Picard's oh, weird yeah, Victorian Christmas uh, with strange children. It's so obvious. Um, because yeah, wasn't there Thank a period you like for the doll father? She's very beautiful. I'm going to peel off her eyelids now. Actually, when that child delivers that line, there's this moment afterwards where she kind of kind of maintains a focus and gives him a really yes, a really weird smile. And I'm always there going, that's so flipping weird. Um, yeah, geez, I forgot about that. Actually, remember back in like I remember Star Trek Six came out at Christmas time as well. Yeah. Um, because I saw it in the cinema, it was the very first Star Trek film I ever saw in the cinema. Um, generations, I think, afterwards, then all started doing kind of Christmas releases or summer releases, then I think, as the case is. Mm, actually, no, I think you're right. I, I am intensely jealous. I was on this earth when uh, Undiscovered Country was in the cinema, but unfortunately, I was deemed too little 
to see it because I think I was, if that came out Christmas 1990? 91. Oh, Jesus, Sean, come on. God, I'm lazy. Well, you see, I struggle to remember it, show because I was two. Okay, hang on a second then. We're just going to do this really quickly, right? Without thinking, without even naming them, right? In years, list the Star Trek films on their release years. Okay, Motion Picture 79, Wrath of Khan. I said, no, I, I said don't list the movies. <laughs> oh. oh, so you want, you want the years uh, as Not opposed the years. to the movies? Yeah. Okay, yes, yes, Grant, yes, yes. well, right. 79, 82, 84, yeah. 86, yeah. 89. Yes. Uh, 91, apparently. Yes. Uh, 94 slash 95, depending on where yep. you saw it. Yep. 96, yep. 98. Yeah, they did 99. Yeah, yeah, that was a Christmas release. Yeah. Uh, 2002, 2009, 2012, 2016. This well done, you good man. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, one of my very, very first articles for Trek Culture, uh, I got the year of Wrath of Khan. I put it 84. And to this day, I don't think Dan Decker has forgiven me. Oh my gosh. Like, yeah. that's. Like, I remember years ago when I was looking at the, the Star Trek fact files when they came out, and um, I remember thinking, like, oh, this is, you know, one of the big things that used to annoy me about books or magazines about Star Trek is they put in an incorrect picture or make an incorrect reference, and you're kind of there going, come on, lads, like, are you, is there any fact checkers out here? And then you had the Star Trek fact files. They're, oh, they never got anything wrong. And then they had something to do with Klingon culture, I can't remember what it was. It was a picture, actually, I think, of Worf and one of the Dora sisters, and it said Worf and Kaler, and I was there going, like, come on, that's really that's good. You're gonna pay for it. Like, my goodness. Um, yeah, you... yeah, I feel less bad if it happens on something like Memory Alpha because I most certainly have not paid for Memory Alpha. But Memory <laughs> Alpha is kind of now, obviously, there's been lots of embellishments, but it is kind of somebody has scanned the fact files into the interwebs, you know. But you kind um, of, you kind of, you kind of miss the days whereby, like, you know, when we were, when I was younger, obviously, there was no internet. And like, if you had to look up something like, you, had to, you know, the fact files came out, you're like, oh my God, I got to buy it, like a reference books and all this kind of thing. And by and large nowadays, like, you know, as you and I would know, Sean, like if you're looking at a Star Trek movie and said, I'm going to look at the trivia of that. You take out your phone, look up IMDb, look up Memory Alpha, look up Wikipedia or whatever, Star Trek.com. Like back in the old days, like getting a bit of trivia was like an absolute goldmine. Like how the hell did you get that? How did you know that kind of thing? And you kind of, you know, I, I kind of miss those days where, like, you know, getting... Because, like, I, I buy a lot of behind-the-scenes books and things like that. But the sad thing is, nowadays, is I'd be reading a lot of stuff and I'd be there going, yeah, I know all this kind of thing. And I kind of, they're going, it's just not the same knowing all the stuff beforehand. I've started to go... I, I'm Obviously, we're cut from the same cloth. I love all behind-the-scenes. I love trivia. I'm, I'm working my way through the Mark Altman the 50 Years of Trek book, which is incredible tome uh but i've started to go because I, I i went through a big mad period of just living on imdb so a lot of the big movies i you know i read whatever trivia is out for that so i just go older you know you know some of the podcasts we were talking about this recently some of the podcasts i listen to are about like, you know hollywood of the you know the the tens 20s mm. and 30s which you know i was not actually around for and have not seen many of those films and my oh it's so interesting and so you see some of the names then pop up much later on. If you go to kind of mid-silver age of Hollywood, you know, there's like, you know, there's B movies or even A movies. Oh, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Oh, that's a good movie or whatever. Don't, don't know why I'm thinking of that. Because uh, it was directed by Robert Wise. And what else did he direct? West Side Story. 
he, well, that actually, funny you should mention that. All right, so just before coming on this pod, this point, this will date this immediately. <laughs> um, so the Spielberg movie has landed and it's getting good reviews, mm. but nobody's going to see it. Now, there is, there's a lot of extent, like Omicron is out there just kicking its way through windows and doors, uh, sneaking in your windows, hide your daughters, hide your wife. And, you know, it's, unless it does one hell of a turnaround, this movie is a complete box office bomb. It yep. did something like 27 million in its opening weekend, which is more money than I will ever see, but it needs 300 million to break even. Yeah, musicals kind of are not kind of where things are at nowadays. Like, like it's, it's really big budget, especially at Christmas, like it's big budget or kind of, you know, nothing kind of job. Like, But anyway, Robert Wise, you were going to say about him directing Star Trek The Motion Picture, of course. What? Uh, yes, of course. He was, you know, you know, the motion picture, which I have so much fun, I will defend motion pictures to death. It is the motionless picture. People are not wrong when they say that, but there is so much in it to love. But there was so much Hollywood heavyweights behind it. And also, I mean, you know this, of course, you know, certain thanks to a certain Mr. Asimov, you know, for story credit and idea credit. You're kind of like, you know, the bloody names attached to this thing for this silly little reboot of a failed TV show. <laughs> yeah, but again, as of most things, it's all about money, isn't it? Like the, the belief was like with Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Star Wars, like Paramount was there going, we're sitting on a cash cow here. Like, like we have to go to the big screen with this and make an absolute load of money off it. And like, you know, it, it just about, you know, got going. And then like the 80s, as we will discuss in future podcasts, were a complete, you know, it turned Star Trek into an, into the Titan it is now. Like, like you know, after the motion picture, when the Wrath of Khan completely just obliterated any expectation, and we just kept on going from there. So, what else is what? Like, if you think of eras of Star Trek, you know, Star Trek the motion picture. I I think there's a lot of shades of 2001 Space Odyssey in it. Now we're talking, it's nearly 20 years later, but that would still at the time be considered like that is the quintessential sci-fi film. And, you know, particularly, you know, V'ger, the cloud is very evocative of going through the Stargate in 2001 A Space Odyssey for me. Hang on, did you say 20 years later? Yeah, 2001 isn't that. No, it's, I have them mixed up. I'm always thinking of films from the 60s. 2001 is much later in the 60s. It's Psycho is 1960. Sorry, I, I realise those two things don't necessarily go together. No, in, sorry. Like, I, I talked about 20 years from the making of the movie and I was there going, Sean, that's actually closer to 40 years. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, between 2001, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I, I wrote, between 2001 and uh, the motion picture. There's now, actually, yeah. no, I think it's, we talked about this before. It's actually late 60s, isn't it? 2001. I it's think not, it is, yeah. Um, so even less time, so it's even fresher in people's minds. Uh, so I look at the motion picture as Star Trek drops acid, and then when you have Wrath of Khan up, particularly up to Final Frontier, it's Star Trek does kilos of cocaine because <laughs> the pace of those films are so much faster. Even Search for Spock, which is a slower film than, say, Wrath of Khan is, or you know, Voyage Home, because Voyage Home has that kind of comedy element to it, which keeps the bounce going. Um, Rat of Khan, obviously, is, you know, action, action, action. And Final Frontier is whatever the hell was going on in Final Frontier. Um, you have... But, but I think, it's one thing we discussed, and we're going to discuss when we discuss the movies as well. Um, unless you're listening to this, we discussed the movies previously, so <laughs> you already We'll see how this, this ages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, like... 
the thing with the movies was is that the movies completely continued on the feeling of the original series and like you couldn't watch the original series and say that doesn't feel like or sorry you couldn't watch the first six movies and say that doesn't feel like the original series because it absolutely does and it's where the next generation films i felt failed i felt the tone was inconsistent across all four and with the exception of insurrection um i never i just felt that the tone of the of them was all over the place in terms of say capturing recapturing the feel of the next generation like again like the original series was kirk spock and mccoy and the movies went along with that as well so that's fine but with the next generation movies it was like picard and data and it's kind of there going yeah but data wasn't as kind of prominent as that and like it's more of an ensemble thing and i think as you said before like people like marina sirtis gates mcfadden they're not going to look back in these movies with anything close to fondness like no i like the the next gen I think one of the strengths of the next gen over the original series is, is like you say, it's the ensemble. It's, it didn't always do it amazingly, but no. over the course of seven years, everyone got their, their standout moments. Everyone got a chance more so than in the original series. Like tell me an Uhura episode or a Sulu yeah, exactly, episode yeah. of the original series, which is not to say that they don't have great scenes, but they don't have episodes. Whereas Dr. Crusher episodes, <laughs> For better or worse, the aforementioned Sobrosa, but also Descent is very much a Dr. Crusher, Suspicions, Remember Me, Troy. Yeah, you had some the, pretty the problematic last, yeah, episodes. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but then she also had things like Dark Page is an incredible episode. Like it's about the Troy family, sure, but it, you know, that is that is it absolutely incredible. But the little baby Kirsten Dunst in it. Um but it, it is a shame because obviously, you know, I absolutely adore the next generation, barring say the first season and the seventh season. Um, and like I remember watching Generations all those years ago, and I was there going, something not right about the feeling of that movie. And with first contact, I actually haven't watched it in years because I remember the last time I watched it, I kind of felt it hadn't aged as well as I'd remembered it had, and all that kind of thing. So I need to kind of go back and watch it. But again, the 80s for Star Trek was unbelievable. You had like the Wrath of Khan in 82, Search Sock 84, The Voyage Home 86, and The Next Generation started, and then you had The Final Frontier in 89. Like, it was ludicrous how popular Star Trek became at that time. Because when you think of it, in terms of the science fiction revolutions, like you had, like in 1966, you had the original series, which completely transformed how people viewed science fiction and what could be done with it in terms of storytelling. Then you had 1977 with Star Wars. And then, like in 1987, uh, there was no real science fiction on TV, and then the next generation arrived. I loved there's um, the continuing voyage. Uh, it was a book, a retrospective on the next generation. I think it was up to insurrection in terms of movies, and they were saying like it was it was brilliant to read it because it would go through through every season of the next gen, and they were saying by the fifth season like all the major networks were putting up everything against the next generation to try and beat it for ratings, and the next generation crushed everything that was in front of it like for me it was the best time to be a star trek fan because it was just everywhere the episodes were flipping brilliant every week and even here in ireland everybody watched star trek even yeah. if they wouldn't admit it everybody was watching the next generation well you said it on a previous podcast as well the um the rt guide which would have been yes. our you know our main you know the tv guide here the, the, you know, the next generation issue. And I remember I had a scrapbook and sure I cut everything out and I kept it in my scrapbook and everything. It was brilliant to us because I was a cool kid. Uh, <laughs> uh, hang on, actually. No, I was a cool kid. I just wanted to come into my own. All right. Um, <laughs> but 
But yeah, um, I only relatively recently in life understood the popularity of Next Gen was because of syndication. It's because it yep. could be shown everywhere, um, as opposed to, well, TOS. Obviously, by the time we came to TOS, having, you know, quite unhandily not been alive on first airing, um, you know, it already had been sold and it could be shown on different channels. So we did get a chance to see these things. Um, and That's those strange, were cutting you know, edge in, graphics. In in Ireland as well, we were ahead of Sky One in the UK. Like we were like months ahead of them. Like I remember watching like the Pegasus was being shown on Sky One and we'd already seen all good things. Now, the funny thing was, though, and I did not know this for years, when RTE, which is the national broadcaster in Ireland, uh, just in case anyone's wondering, yeah, when they showed uh, All Good Things, they flipping cut out a good few scenes from it. So for many years, when I used to watch back uh, All Good Things on my VHS player, I was watching the RTE version of it. But there was one day I remember on um, BBC Two, they showed All Good Things as a two-parter in one go. So I said, I'm going to record over. I'm going to have that now. And I taped it. And I remember watching it. There was something these, these new scenes in it. And I was there, what the hell is going on? Like one of them was probably quite possibly one of the most important scenes in the whole bloody thing. It's when they're on the pastor in the ready room. Yep. And they all walk out and Picard is there. And then old Q is there with like one of the old style kind of hearing aids. And then he yep. basically says to Picard, he says, you know, what you were and what you will become are all basically all linked in together. And Picard says, so the solution is in the time skipping. And I was there going, how did RT watch that and say, yeah, let's just cut that part out now. We don't need that part to be <laughs> shown at all. And I'll always remember at the end, like when the episode ended, like obviously being a Star Trek fan, I was utterly, utterly just, I was despondent because I was there going, there's no more Next Generation next week. And just as the show was ending, the announcer came over and she said, you know, well, next week we'll be showing whatever and all this kind of thing. And then she said, I think it was ending like a 10 to 8, I think it was. And so there was obviously a couple of steps. And she said, and now we're going to next up is a, is a short cartoon with a, with a problem that even Mr. Data would have problems with. And I was there, what the hell is this? And I was there, could this be something Star Trek related? I said, oh my God, this is going to be so cool. And I always remember it, it was a short cartoon about what it means to be, just to be a person. What does it mean? And I remember thinking, this is the most random thing I've ever come across. And I was there going, that's actually, it was a good point that Mr. David was struggling with that question. But I always, it, it's just the most random thing that would stick out in your head. And I always remember, because I was just so, I was just so down, because look, look, we knew, you know, Generations was on its way at this point. But it was just there going like, oh my God, I won't be able to turn the TV every week and just see the adventures of the Enterprise D in space and all that kind of thing. Like it's, it was 1990, it was late 94, like my word, it's, it's, it's I can it's still all so clear in my head, you know what it's what you know watching it like. That's that's like I first of all, I didn't see that so like that's news to me and that's deadly like because no better thing to pair with particularly all good things, um, because all right so okay here I am putting a structure on this twenty minutes in here I am putting a structure on this episode <laughs> right. Um, because all good things would be such an easy candidate for this, but show. Yes. It's Christmas. And because it's Christmas, you get three wishes. But yes. I'm going to tell you what those wishes are. Oh. You get to take three episodes of Star Trek. Yes. And they're going to be given an MCU level budget and they're going to be <laughs> turned into a feature. Now, stay away from the best of both worlds and all those yeah, kind of things. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 
So what is, what's your first choice and why? It would have to be the Doomsday Machine. Do- oh, away, what a fantastic um, choice. What a fantastic choice straight away. Because like that episode absolutely benefited from, again, just a quick recap. If anyone hasn't seen the Doomsday Machine, the Enterprise comes across the USS Constellation, which has been uh, basically wrecked and left for dead um, with one remaining crew member aboard, Commodore Decker. Uh, basically, there, his ship was in a star system. It came across a massive planet killer, which was massacring planets. Uh, Constellation engaged it, and the Constellation got its ass handed to it. And now Enterprise and the Constellation have to find a way to destroy this thing because it's going to make its way to the most uh, densely populated part of the galaxy. And it's bloody brilliant. It's a very, very dramatic episode. It's absolutely excellent. But it's one of those episodes that, like, when we we discussed it, Sean, before, but like that on a massive, massive scale, that would be completely, that'd be cool. Like that'd be absolutely, because it's, it's got such, because we've discussed with like how good season two of the original series was, the ideas were, again, like it's funnily enough, it's actually a bottle show. Like it's basically yeah. just the Enterprise sets. That's all. Like you're literally in about three or four different sets on the ship. That's it. But the idea behind it is just absolutely brilliant. Like if we were to see something as simple as the Doomsday Machine doing what it does, you know, um, think about that. You can obviously you can trace the growth in budget and effects uh, in Star Trek. So if you think to start to two thousand nine and the supernova that destroys Romulus, as opposed to the supernova in Generations, yes, uh, both but very very good. Um, Generations actually quite disturbing. I hate that scene where they're all sit- standing on the saucer section of the Enterprise D, and then oops, here comes the shockwave. Uh, it's like it's not really necessary to include that scene, David Carson. I actually, I actually love that scene because I, I love horrific. The, I, I love the fact that you can see the people on the saucer section turning around yeah. and running. I always thought that was really kind of cool. But I remember some. I remember reading some scientists tweeting. They basically said that the second the sun imploded, like everyone was just frozen immediately. Like like they wouldn't have survived long enough to witness the destruction of the planet. So they're going get your science cool, out of here. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like the way you, you were saying you, you love that, like do you also love pulling the fl- the wings off flies and you know kind of come here, Kitty. <laughs> I've hidden a piece of meat for you at the bottom of this bear trap. Um, what would you pick as as an episode you'd uh, give a higher budget to? I have I have two more, and I know one of them straight out. Anyhow, but what's your next one? What's your what's your first one? Sorry, my first one. Well, I would like because I <sighs> I'm a bit of a weirdo, right? Um, really yeah i know i know i know so the, the first one that came to mind i'm actually not going to go with because it would be a waste of a movie but it's kind of like a one of those dark friday nights like oh, i want to see a crime thriller <coughs> darkness in the light ds9 no uh give me deadlock from voyager oh yeah that'd be brilliant actually I'd, yeah i'd really like to see that with a big budget and for a couple of reasons one is if you think um oddly enough if you jump forward to season six the episode fury uh, when CGI had come on just a little bit and we get that Vidian ship is kind of grappling over Voyager. Um, it's pretty good for the time. And it's like, oh, yeah, like maybe with a bit more effects, I'd love to see Voyager versus the Vidians, you know, because we, what we got was pretty good. But with a TV kind of kind of restricted TV budget, mm. and I liked what they did with it. But give us a full feature length budget of that, along with the two Voyagers fighting over the same space and time. Yeah, I think they did Janeway or against Janeway. I think they did that pretty well. I'm not. No... That was really well done. Yeah, that yeah. absolutely was. Yeah. Like I've no complaints about the episode. I just like to see Gimme more, um, and you know, like poor old poor old Harry Kim getting sucked out into space. I want a half an hour of that, um, <laughs> with extreme detail, 
<laughs> the, the funny thing is, actually, as you bring up that, right, it's something that I was going to bring up when we started our podcast. I think the second seasons of The Next Generation, DS9 and Voyager are incredibly, incredibly kind of not given anywhere near the credit they are because the first season of all three are very kind of, you know, they're all ropey because they're still trying to get everything yeah. in place, right? For all three series, once you hit season three, everything is fine and everything moves fine. It's season two in all of them where they start getting trying to get rid of the ropey stuff. They try to bring in more structure and get our characters in place better. Like we talk about, I bloody love the second season of The Next Generation. It's the very first season I bought on DVD and I was intent on getting only that first because I have to see that first. And the same with Voyager. Voyager really started getting some bananas ideas in the second season. Like, like Deadlock is a perfect example. Like that was a great thing with Voyager. You would hadn't a clue what the hell you were going to see in each episode. Anything was bloody possible. Like Deadlock is a great episode. And what's great is you think at the end of the episode, you're going to end up on the good Voyager, the one that's not being completely battered. And you don't. You end up in the shit Voyager, the one that really got the shit kind of given out to you. And you're going, that's so bloody cool. Except, and this is the, the, the it's the biggest criticism about Voyager. It's like, isn't it good that they had that little mini space dock that they could just kind of create beside the nip in, fix the ship between episodes. It was just like, on the one hand, it took, like the reimagining of Battlestar Galactica is the first in my mind that I can think of where they went, no, no, if, it's if damaged, you're broken it's in damaged. one episode, you're broken yeah. in the next episode. Um, well, and, enter, like in fairness to it, Enterprise did do it. Like at the end of the second season, like in, in all those episodes towards the end of the second season, when Enterprise was badly damaged, and it wasn't until... In encountered was it the the other enterprise was it in in e, e squared wasn't it I, like again I don't yeah. watch enterprise that much but like they were damaged in the at the end it was the second season wasn't it it wasn't the third, third, or was it the third, third season Zindi was the third, third season yeah yeah third season correct and, and yeah it gets badly damaged and like but that damage carries carries true until. Oh, they got that space. Oh, well, whatever. Look, they, they did carry on. Well, they did, but you're dead right. Yeah, in season three, the fact that it's still flying by the end of the season is an achievement. Uh, yeah. I think you're, I think I, I know what one was in your head. The the space dock where yes. it was basically, we'll fix you, but we're taking two of your crew. That's the payment. Uh, yes, voiced correct. by Balana Torres because it was directed by Roxanne Dawson. And as I think I said to you recently enough, Roxanne Dawson is currently directing the episodes of Foundation, I believe it is, just down the road here in Limerick. Isn't that yeah. just great? And she's staying in this hotel and her blood type is this. <laughs> and... <laughs> Joe, what is your second, your, your second Christmas wish? Look, the obvious, it would have to be the obvious one because it's something that when we get into season three of The Next Generation, it would have to be discussed, is absolutely yesterday's Enterprise. Um, just from a point of view of, I'd love to see more of the galaxy. I'd love to see more of what's going on in, on Earth. Like, you know, what's the situation? Like, because one of the things I love about the, the episode Parallels is when we see the, the basically the bar controls, you know, oh, the yeah. Enterprise that's kind of, it's a it's it's nightmarish like and what i love about yesterday's enterprise is like you have you have all these subtle things going on in it that you might have picked up on like i didn't really pick up for years that Riker hates picard in that universe like he can't mm. stand him like and there's a few times that kind of comes across like and you know you kind of you say to yourself like we know 
like what earth is gonna be like and all this kind of thing but it's so different so weird you kind of they're going like what the hell is going on like like the federation is close to collapse and all that and they're going like good lord that would make an unbelievable movie like like it's one of the episodes in the next generation third season where it kind of really kind of kicked on and said we can do much bigger things like but always in these kind of episodes it's the what if kind of scenario and you want to see more because you're seeing the characters you know and they are the same, but they're different. And you just love to see more of the differences that exist. Yeah. No, I, I mean, like yesterday's Enterprise is, I think, already as close to a motion picture of an episode as I think they could get away with on the budget. And the fact that it's not a two-parter, I think it stands even more to its credit that they managed to yep. do so much in one episode. And I don't feel... I don't feel massively shortchanged, but I'd still like, oh my God, I would love to see that as an extended motion picture. Give us more of the Enterprise C. Um, and in fact, I'm going to break my own rules for my next pick, but I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Um, <laughs> and just, it's like, you've given us so much. I'm going to be greedy. This gives a little bit more, just a little bit more. Uh, and also the one thing that it's the problem I have with yesterday's enterprise with tapestry and with any appearance of the monster maroons in the next generation is, I don't know what the budget issue was for the undercolor shirts yeah, and why we couldn't spike, have yeah. them, but I, I, I want, I want a remake. I will, re, I will personally remaster the episode <laughs> and I will put them in, you know, it'll just be like, you know, a white marker just around people's necks. But what's so funny is like, when you say that we often talk about, you know, like you look at, budgets and all that kind of thing and then i remember reading on the trivia for generations that they ran out of money and only like data and picard got the actual ds9 suits and that geordie had to wear a Colomini one and Riker yeah. had to wear a cisco one and that's like in fairness though it works for Riker because Riker having it pulled up a bit and having the gray undershirt yeah. i think looks really cool and then with Jordy, when you you really see it with Jordy when he walks into engineering just before the battle happens, and if you look at his sleeves, like it's way too far down in his hand, like, and it comes it comes out way too much, like. Jordy, think is gas because, like, what what was on the call sheet for DS Nine? Everyone must be eleven foot tall, and <laughs> uh, have three foot or three foot long arms. I don't know if that's long or short. I, I it's early. I've not had my coffee, um, but like. I've I've not met Jonathan Frakes, but I've I've stood next to Jonathan Frakes at a con. The man is not small. So how Huge. big is Avery Brooks? Yep. You know, it's like, oh my God. Oh, Cisco becomes even more intimidating when you think that Jonathan Frakes, who is roughly the size of Atlas, had to roll up the sleeves for them to fit. Well, all you need to do now is go back and watch the DS9 episode of The Defiant and see the two of them walking out of Cisco's office and you can probably see what the height and physical difference was at the time. Frace comes up to his shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. So my, my, my next pick, this is me breaking my rules, but slightly. Um, yes. I would, I would love to give Redemption a movie because oh, I think yeah. the Klingon Civil War, I think, would do really, really well. Um, the, the obvious pick, say, for, you know, oh, let's do a movie is best of both worlds. But arguably, we got that with First Contact. You know, the Battle of Old 359. Sure, I mean, give us a miniseries. Give us all of the Battle of Sector 001. Give us one. Sure. I think Redemption, frankly, checking over my shoulder, it's a more interesting story 
than Best of Both Worlds. Best of Both Worlds is incredible for the obvious reasons. Redemption has got all that political intrigue. It's got all that backstabbing. It's got the rise of Gowron. It's got the fall of the House of Duras. It's got that civil war. And it's got the dilemma of keeping the Federation out of that. And then you also have the Tachyon blockade. You have the Romulans. Mm. There's so much in it that I think it's tailor-made for a motion picture um, and I'm talking like this is a three hour epic. This is, you know, kind of like, you know, you have to take it, you know, at the end of one, take out disc, flip over, put disc back in this, this kind of like thing. Yeah. Um, and I would love, love, love to see that. Plus, we were, I will defend Nemesis to my dying breath. No, no. We were robbed that we never got the Dederodex on a big screen. I think they were saying it was it was like when they got rid of the Enterprise D in Generations. They were just there going, it's impossible to shoot the bloody thing. It was just it too was meant bloody for a TV like, screen. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Although in fairness, they went to special effects anyway, so it wouldn't have made a bloody bit of difference. Um no, Redemption Redemption's one of those episodes I haven't I, there's a lot of stuff I haven't watched intentionally, and I don't watch it a lot because I watched it too much when I was younger. Redemption's bloody brilliant because so funny with Ronald D. Moore, you know, accidentally becoming the main Klingon fella and having to write all the bloody episodes that go along with it. Like, it's just, it's so, there's so much depth to it. There's so much kind of going on. As you said, like, you know, with the honor system that exists in, you know, the Klingon culture, how, you know, Worf getting his honor back and announcing that, you know, Kern is his brother and things like that. It's really, I love, I also love at the very end of it, after the Romulan blockade is stopped, I love it shows a picture of the first Imperial city and it's just on fire and you just see weapons fire coming out on top of it because like the Klingons are just completely going, I'm just going to scorch the whole bloody earth because this is what I do because I'm a Klingon. Yep. Yeah, They're not petty or anything like um, No, absolutely not. There was, uh, actually, do you know what? There's, there is a slight cheat in the start of Redemption 2 that they already got a motion picture budget. In that Redemption 2 opens with that shot of the Klingon bird of play flying toward the sun from the voyage home. And they just sort of retcon. Oh, it's actually, you know, Geron's ship. And, uh, you know, they they put in some uh, holdover images from yesterday's Enterprise of those birds of prey uh, closing in on the Enterprise C and the Enterprise D. Suddenly that's, yeah, we're going to throw that in as well. Such a good way to save some money. so that would be that would be my second pick. So what is so your final wish? This is it now. There was no undoing of this. This is you know the last wish you'll ever get. I've had to obviously you know think of this on the fly, and there was like even thinking about now, there's a few different ideas I have, but I'm not going to pick one that I would necessarily say you'd go massive budget with it, but something I think if you were to make for a better term a TV movie and make it really good, I'd actually pick in the pale moonlight. Because I love anything that's kind of got political thriller, intrigue, spy, and things like that. And I think that if it was expanded onto a much bigger scale, it's like, I remember the first time watching it, geez, I was blown away by it. Like, Because you're watching it going long and you're kind of there going, Jesus, which way is he going to go? And then like, you're kind of there going like, he's taking you know, advice from Garrick of all people. Like Garrick is kind of, you're there going, but this isn't going to work out well and things like that. And like how it keeps on happening, how it keeps on changing, the Romulan figuring out that it's a fake and things like that. And then, you know, the eventual denouement of like basically Garrick murders him. And I love, because when, when he dies and Cisco realizes, I remember sitting there going, but that's the obvious thing. Garrick was going to kill him like, and I love the fact when Cisco comes in and beats him and Garrick says, 
this is why you came to me because I can do the things you know need to be done and no one else can do them like and I love that guy says yeah like I thought it might have worked but if it didn't I knew I could just kill him anyway yeah. <laughs> it's just it, it, it crossed the line that needed to be crossed and I love that that it did that it was just willing to say no we have to do like this has to be the way it's like we discussed before with in the third season next generation episode the uh the enemy um there was with the the injured romulan on the enterprise and basically they're trying to find a compatible blood donor and it was only Worf was the compatible blood donor and you watch the episode you're going oh he'll give him the blood he'll give him the blood, give him the blood. i remember i think it was ronald d morris said in the writer's room they were there going we've got to think of a way for it to happen and someone said what happens if he just says no and there was war about it, but then eventually they all said, actually, John, that is the right way. And it's great because like you keep thinking everything's gonna work out. They're gonna do it the right way, we're gonna do it. And it's when you see a bit of duplicitousness like this, and in the pale moonlight is full of it, but that they go all in for it. And kind of they're going, I'd love to have seen more of it. I'd love to have seen them doing more to kind of you know to, to have seen more of it. I like it's ever knows it's a bloody brilliant episode. It's it's astonishing. I've again I haven't watched it in years, but that would be one I'd love to see kind of uh, like as an expanded thing trying to kind of do that. Yeah. Actually I'm just thinking to myself as you say that when we get to DS9 season six on this pod hmm. and we're doing our fight I mean we're we're gonna have... season five wasn't it? No in the Pale Moonlight season six. So that was so the Dominion War yes it properly begins in the last episode of season five. So mm. I've uh, in the power moonlight, the v, VHS copy 6.10. Let me, Oh, you're on, you're on the internet. They're checking. Is it not at all? No. See, I used well, to collect the VHSs for season so six and seven. Yeah. Uh, 6.10. Oh yes. And it was paired with his way. Let's just check IMDb and see what oh, IMDb says about this. Are we this. checking? Are we? Yeah. We flipping hmm. well are, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to be told I'm wrong, even though I'm absolutely a million percent wrong in this situation. But um, yes, please, uh, please tell me your next choice for this. So my next choice, right? So what I'm I still think... trying to get my tablet to work so I can verify this. That's Ooh. all right. Asko, what I would like to do is I would like to fix a great wrong in Star Trek's history. And I would like to take the name of an episode, turn it into a movie, and carry absolutely nothing about that episode forward. And that's These Are the Voyages. <laughs> because Enterprise was wronged. And it deserves a far better conclusion than it received. Because it is, it is the red-headed stepchild of Star Trek. Um, it was so much better than all, including me, gave it credit for at the time and it was it was killed as it was learning to walk um or maybe learning to run it certainly had learned to walk season three was miles forward sorry what there's what, what's that facial expression there show just just really no, quickly i'm 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 just i'm decrying how enterprise ended it was very sad uh, oh yes, very sad yes of course that that's fine that's grand yeah yeah um and uh i just think that even now drop the Riker Troy thing altogether. Get rid of that. Uh, that was that was a disservice to the sh- to the show. That wasn't fair, basically to to take the finale of Enterprise and turn it into Next a footnote. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, give us the the Shran subplot if you must give us the trip thing. Do it better. Um, you know and. 
formation like, yeah, of the United like, Federation of Planets. Like, it's kind of a big deal in Star Trek history. But why kill him? Like, what was the point of that? Like, the whole thing is a disaster anyway, but why kill a character like that anyway? Like, what's the bloody point? Like, what was the point? I mean, you're right. You're right to question that. But everything about the episode, what was the point? Uh, it was like they since said, which I think is complete bullshit. That oh, it's always the plan for the end of season four, even if we'd gone into season five, because there would have been so many years. Like that, that is complete and utter face saving. Um, but, but also like, shock value really, for no point. Yeah, like it's it, it's like when you, basically you put it like this, right? You cannot pay attention to interviews at all that anyone gives before or while something has just been released you can't you have to come back years later like i remember years ago i remember watching interviews for all things transformers 2 which came out during the writers guild strike of whatever 2007 no sorry it was 2009 it was 2008 2009 and i remember michael bay and all the lads going yeah it's not going to affect us at all like of course it won't like why would you be worried about that years later they came out and said yeah the writers guild strike totally shagged us over and I remember in, like, even Jonathan Frakes talked about uh, Insurrection, and he was saying, we know the curse with the odd numbers movies. He said, so we're referring to this of, like, nine of ten kind of thing. Yeah. Mm. And years later, then Jonathan Frakes comes out and says, yeah, look, no, like, we knew, you know, it, we, it had problems, blah, 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 and all this kind of thing. I just there going, like, I just hate interviews like that, because I'm just there going, people buy into it, and they go, oh, no, they mean it. And they're going, they don't mean it. They're, they're contractually obligated to defend the product, like, so, you know, they're not really kind of telling you the truth here, like. It is, and it's it's both a shame and it's par for the course. Yeah, you know, like um, I think to the you know when Genesis Terminator Genesis was coming out, and James Cameron giving those interviews, you just like, I mean, they didn't feel right at the time, and they've since aged. Even I, I enjoy Genesis. It's a silly, fun film. You know, it's not great. It's not amazing. I enjoyed the nostalgia trip of it all, but. Uh, feckin' James Cameron being, oh, this is Terminator 3. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, I can see the bag with the dollar <laughs> sign sitting beside you. Like, you, you've left it in the shot, you know? Um, so, yeah. But isn't, but, but isn't that the kind of, you know, the, the thing, like, you know, like, I remember before, right, I watched the movie The Man from UNCLE with um, Army Hammer and uh, Henry Cavill. I loved it. I think it's complete nonsense. I think it's wonderful. I think it's hilarious. And... I can see its problems at the same time. I remember watching Alan Core from the RT Guide. He reviewed it. Now, he said, I'm a big fan of the 60s show. And he slated it. And I was there going, do you know what? That's fine. He likes it from a young age. He knows what the series is about. And the movie sure. doesn't go along with that. That's grand. So I'm there. That's fine. And then when you look at Star Trek as well, same kind of thing. Like, I remember when Star Trek 09 came out, I was going, ape. I was there going, how do you mean the Vulcan sky is blue? It's feckin' red. Like, come on. Like, get it together kind of thing. And then you get older and then you you let go of a lot of it and you're kind of there going, ah, if I don't like it, it's fine. I'll just keep that opinion to myself kind of thing and things on the lines. And there's always things in Star Trek that you'll enjoy despite everybody else saying that they don't like it. In the same way, I like the Enterprise D getting dismantled by that shockwave and seeing people run away from it and you absolutely hate it. So here's going to be my question. What episode do you watch across all the series that you know doesn't have the best reviews and they would never be ever on a top 10 list, but you say, I enjoy sitting down and I enjoy watching that. 11.59. I haven't seen I, that in years. I really like that episode. It's not amazing. It's not great. It's very much a bottle show. And I just, I don't know, when I saw it 
I saw it when it first came out, obviously. What's the story of the episode again? Just remind me, it's been years since I've seen it. So it's, um, there, there's a, a bookend plot of Janeway talking about her ancestor, uh, I want to say Shannon O'Donnell, uh, who is working as it's part of... a bookshop, of, isn't it? Yeah, so Henry Janeway and his son run a bookshop that is basically standing in the way of this big monument, the Millennium Gate being built. Uh, you know, everyone yeah. else has sold their premises. They're going to move into the Millennium Gate. You know, he's the last one that's holding out. And so Shannon is sort of tasked with convincing him to change his mind by man who, I can't remember his character, but man who is running the Millennium Gate, who is, oh, you'd know, you'd know his face. He's in feckin' everything. Um I'll get I'll get the actress name now in a moment, but um, I'm pretty sure Henry Janeway Carol... was also one of those actresses who's ever who's in everything oh, as well. Yeah. He's oh yeah, you're right. Henry Janeway's everything. He only recently turned up in ER. Um, your man, the guy she's working for, Carol Oates, something Carol Oates. Um, okay. Again, you'd see his face and be like, oh, oh, he's, uh, did you see Zodiac? The movie, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He a uh, spoiler, by the way. Well, not really spoiler because it's. Still technically <laughs> unsolved. He's the one that they sort of think it is. Oh, that guy's in everything. He was he's, in the yeah, absolutely everything. Mike you know his face. All that kind of thing. Yes, exactly. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. and it's a really simple story, and it's basically Shannon and Henry falling in love over the course of the episode. And in Voyager time, then you know it turns out that the family history is a little bit different from what the legend has become, but it doesn't really matter because you know it's not the uh, material achievement it's the achievement of history and it's lovely and yeah. it's simple and you know like that it's never turning up in anybody's top 10 voyager list but i think it's a great performance by kate mulgrew and yeah i just really enjoy it so show same question oh that's very easy for me is straight out tin man i love tin um, man I know Tin you love that Man episode, yeah. is one of those episodes that just the reason I like it actually so much is because in the car I have like the you know the the SD card with all the majority of the Star Trek soundtracks on it and all that kind of thing and uh, I have like the Next Generation volumes one to whatever and Tin Man is one of them and I really like the music at Tin Man and I love the the kind of the you know, spiritual music that goes along with Tin Man. And then I love the kind of militaristic music that goes along with the Romulans. And again, at the time, the Romulans were, you know, the main antagonist and the D. Derelict Warbird looked bloody class. Like, again, as you said, it's never going to show up in anyone's top 10 list. Tam Elbron is a prick and he's a really annoying individual. And <laughs> I can see all the issues, but I like it as a data story because I like seeing someone interact with data and they try to understand data and it's done in a really kind of nice way. Again, I like the fact that Troy has a relationship with him. I like Picard as a leader in this bloody class. And I love all the confrontations with the Romulans, especially at the end when Enterprise's shields are basically completely knackered and the Romulan Warbrook could destroy it. But the Romulans are going to try and destroy uh, Tin Man and how Picard basically says, like, we'll effectively defend the life of the alien with our own lives kind of thing. And again, it ties into everything we love about Star Trek that they're willing to, you know, sacrifice their own life for this kind of creature. Like, so, oh, Jesus, Tin Man all day long for me. I don't know why I would pick it of all else, but I would absolutely pick Tin Man. Question. I'm going to ask you, I have two questions actually to ask you, strangely enough, right? Having watched all the series, movies and things like that, right? If you were to have your choice, which of them would you like to live in 
Next gen. Why? Next gen. Um, because frankly, it's the safest. Um, <laughs> like you know, DS Nine sounds great until you realise fiercely close to the old Cardassian Union here. Um, yeah. Voyager, there's that uncertainty of are we ever going to see home or not? Um, mm-hmm. Enterprise has the greatest body count of any of the Star Treks. Um, and then Discovery uh, has a fairly high body count as well. Look, that's a nice Klingon ship, and we're dead. Um, and then Picard <laughs> is just the 21st century with a big CGI sheen on it. Like, you know, kind of, oh, hi, I feel optimistic today. How dare you? I see. Um, oh, maybe Lower Decks, actually. Sorry. No, I'm going to change my answer. Lower Decks. That looks like great crack to live in. Um, yeah, because it's doing what next gen does is we're just nipping about we're meeting new aliens it's grand it's all fine and you know we're all here next week yeah that thing isn't with the next generation. again my my choice is well with the next generation absolutely because you know even when the bible for the show it was there's no interpersonal conflict there's nothing wrong like everything is fine we're fine like for the crack i'd nearly pick the original enterprise just for the reason of you had no idea what you were going to encounter. Mm. You were probably going to get you know, the ship battered around the place. If you were in security, you were going to die. But you had James C. Kirk in command. And you were going, that's grand. It's fine. He'll find some stupid way to get us out of this. It's absolutely fine. I would not live on the Enterprise refit or the Enterprise A because you'd probably die on that. That's, there's a huge chance of that. Yeah, like the, the refit is just like, you've been assigned to the torpedo bay i'd really <laughs> rather not if it's all the same um i'll take waste extraction no problem absolutely fine yeah no 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 now you're going to look at the plasma intake faults again waste extraction i will do it i will volunteer my time no problem no one's shooting at the toilets actually strange i've, I've actually two more questions as i've been thinking about if you were to sit down or go on a long drive and you were to listen to any of the soundtracks which one? Oh. um Oh, because there's actually, uh, I'm delighted to say this. So probably the motion picture. I think Jerry Goldsmith changed cinema music with that. I realize that's a hell of a statement because John Williams yeah, changed cinema music with Star right. Wars, you know, but he literally invented an instrument for the motion picture. He invented but, the blaster beam, you know. Yeah. Um, so suck on that, John Williams, who was amazing. And also, I believe as we are. Recording this, we're close to the man's birthday. So happy birthday, Thank John Williams. Happy birthday, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but because there's so many are great. Oh, Undiscovered Country, I love, but it's too, it's too no, short for too, a long no, drive. You, you, you pick one. You've picked the motion picture. You're stuck with it forever now. That's the end of it. All right. Why? Because I've I just taken your... Anyway, yeah. No, um, no, no, no. You haven't. You well, actually haven't. I'm delighted. No, I, I, I'm very happy with my choice for a motion picture. It's an incredible score, particularly the expanded one. You know, yeah, You can get a good one, long drive out of it. Yeah, the expanded one is bloody phenomenal. There's so much good music um, in that. Like, I always love the original one. When the expanded came out, there's so much good music in it. Like, strangely enough, though, and I know it's going to sound awful, I'm not the biggest fan of the Enterprise flyover music. When they see the Enterprise for the first time. Stop looking at me like that. What um, the hell I, is wrong with you? I just not. I just, I'm just not. It just. What it is your childhood trauma? It, doesn't hit me in the same way that like Enterprise clears moorings from the Wrath of Khan hits me. It just, I, 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 I get it. I know ex- like if I was there in 1979 watching it, I'd be like, oh yeah, it's so cool. But I just, I compare the two scenes constantly because you know they have money, they have the same bloody you know effects and all that. But I just, 
I it, it doesn't hit me at all in the way. Like I love the ideas team are like the uh, at the before the overture at the very start of the movie. Yeah. I think that's flipping phenomenal. But I just it never hit me that way when you see the Enterprise for the first time. It's so weird. I just I I'm I it just doesn't get to me like that at all. You have seen the fact that I have commissioned a canvas art print. <laughs> Of the Enterprise in Dry Dock, and I have it hanging on. My, yeah, but I, like, I can classify it as being from three years later when the Wrath of Khan is about to happen. Yes. You got two seasons of Star Trek wrong <laughs> in this episode, all right? That's that's the best thing I can say to you. This. Oh, yeah, the Zindi arc in season two of Enterprise, Interpel Moon in season five, DS9. You don't know, guys. You don't know. Uh, listen, you're wrong, but Enterprise Clear's moorings is a lot of fun to listen to. Yeah, but it's yeah, but it's very different. Like again, like with the see that I think as well with the motion picture is that like the whole movie is about a sense of belonging, and it's not just V'ger trying to find its creator. Like it is also about the crew trying to reconnect, and like Star Trek trying to reconnect with its audience, and also Spock trying to reconnect as well. So there's a when you watch it again, there's there's a hell of a lot more to the movie than people actually give it credit for. There's a lot going on in it. And the music really works well within that. Like, I remember when I was younger, the synthesizer drove me flipping bananas. But as i am gotten older, like, the synthesizer works so well. It's this wonderful sense of scale that comes with it. And there's the, the, the booming kind of impending kind of, yo, dread that comes with it. Because at the time, V'ger is an unstoppable force. No, I, I, I agree. I'm still, I'm not going to lie. I'm still reading for what you said. But I, <laughs> I, I appreciate your kind words. Uh, about the film as you desperately try to I save don't face. need to give you kind words about the film. Get out of there. <laughs> uh, right. Um, you better you better try and save yourself here. So what is your uh, your road trip soundtrack? Um, Final Frontier. Ah, that is I a great one. I love, love that we both went Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah, I I, I... I love your know, James Horner stuff for two and three, and I like I love the, the Dennis McCarthy for generations and all that. But it's just there's there's so much going on in the soundtrack for Star Trek Five. Like I love the start, like Nimbus Tree and all that. I love the music, the kind of you know, like the the music of Kirk climbing the mountain oh, and things like that. The Klingon, uh, the Klingon attack on the. Um, on the Earth probe and all that kind of thing. It's just like, deadly, just, deadly Earth probe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah, exactly. How dare you send such a thing into space? Like, like yeah. even you know the 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 rescue as well. Um, when the Klingon bird of prey is closing in on the shuttlecraft, like that's flipping class. And and I think it's an angry god. I think it is like the entire music from when they leave Enterprise on the shuttle and go to the surface I'm, of Shockery. Lost in that, yeah. That's brilliant. It's, it, it's just, it's so cool because it kind of starts with impending doom because you see Chekhov on the planet, on the bridge looking at the planet and then it kind of changes as the shuttle goes down to the planet and then they land and just the music just totally changes. There's this wonder and it's this awe about where they are and they start walking. The music just follows. It's bloody, it's, it's, abs- it's, it, it, it's a really, really good soundtrack for what is maybe not the best movie, but the soundtrack works. The soundtrack yeah. is bloody brilliant. And the expanded soundtrack, again, same thing. Expanded soundtrack is brilliant. No, I I, I, I totally agree. Yeah, for all of the things that I said about Star Trek V, the, I don't have a single word against the soundtrack. I think it's incredible. No. Uh, and I am, although I love, love, love Cliff Eidelman's score for six, uh, it, it's slightly sad to me that Jerry Goldsmith didn't come back because of the 
perceived failure of Final Frontier. They were just like, he's like, no, 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 no. I came back for five and that one blew up in my face. So I'm I not think doing I, that. I think I but I love, I love Underscore Country score. I wouldn't change a note. Yeah. Yeah. I like I love like one of the film reviewers online that I really enjoy is a guy called Oliver Harper. He's brilliant. He's very good at what he does with retrospectives. But there's one thing I remember I specifically disagree with him on when he reviewed all the Star Trek films. What he said is he felt that the the Star Trek films should have had an over like a basically a consistent music throughout the entire all the movies and all that kind of thing in the way Star Wars did. And I always thought that was that didn't work for me because I was there going, the Star Wars movies are chapters of the same book. And it's an overarching, you know, storyline. I said, with the Star Trek films, you've got different writers, you've got different directors, you've different feelings of the movies, and the movies have to reflect that. Like, you couldn't have had James Horner score The Voyage Home. Like, could you imagine no. in the in the happy scenes, like, just this deep, depressing, you know, extremely impending doom music coming in, and they're going, Jesus, James, lighten up a small bit here, like, there's a bit of crack now, like, we're all happy, like... I'm just wondering where the Klingon slash alien theme would go into Star Trek 4. Yes. Because it will. (laughs) There's no question about it. You know, it's kind of like, you know, like, you know, I I could just imagine now, sorry, Chekhov's run through the, uh, to the hospital instead of the, uh, it's, it's like, wow, okay, I don't want Chekhov to escape at this point. All right, get him. He's going to do some stuff. So we should probably finish up and let our lovely listeners get back to their Christmas dinner. What is one thing from 2021 from Star Trek that gives you warm Christmas fuzzies? Oh, Jesus. Um... <laughs> Bloody hell, that's a really interesting question. Do you know what? It's 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 from Christmas, but it's not coming out till next year. I've just seen, I think it's Hero Collector or whoever it is, are going to be releasing a book series of the next generation covering each season. So there's gonna be seven books across all the seasons. I think they start launching oh. next year in, in July, I think it is. I think season one is coming out. I'm incredibly excited for that because I've, you know, I've basically eaten everything to do with the next generation over the years. That to me is going to be absolutely bloody brilliant. What about you? That's cool. I, had, I hadn't heard about that. That's fantastic. Um, for me, uh, just because I love to lower the tone, uh, <laughs> we got a Mugatu uh, rubbing its horn, <laughs> watching two other Mugatus go at it this, this year. And if that doesn't sum up 2021, I don't know what does. <laughs> so, Sean, happy Christmas to you. And I'll let you go back to your Christmas dinner on, on what is exactly the 25th of December. Uh, exactly, yes. Uh, likewise, it was lovely to meet you live on the 25th of December uh, 2021. And have a lovely Christmas. And to everyone listening, thank you so much Uh, for all of your support so far this year. And we love you. And here's to a fantastic 2022. Thanks, guys.